Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. My, there's some upset British people. Uh, Nick Buckley, British writer, has an MBE. There are two things wrong with Meghan Markle, and neither are to do with her skin color. She is white. She is a foreigner who does not understand our culture and a divorcee, which means she is difficult or a poor judge of character. Neither is a good fit with our royal family. That's Nick Buckley, MBE. Uh, Nobody tell this incredible douchebag that King Charles is also a divorcee. And so is the new queen. Uh, It didn't get a lot of press at the time. But uh, yes, even your new king that you so revere as you trash Meghan Markle, even your new king was once married to someone else. I'm 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 not going to tell you who. You can google it and find out. It was a long time ago. I, I can see why you might forget, but you might just find that uh maybe if the king is a divorcee, it means he's difficult or a poor judge of character. Oh, I just hate it when racists ruin my pointless racist coronation ceremonies. Did you watch this weekend? I didn't. So I'm going to need you guys to tell me what I missed. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. I just wanted to watch the royal family and and celebrate because I'm 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 part German too and inbred. <laughs> of course, uh it was a rough weekend. We were still reeling from the mass shooting last week in Texas and of course now strangling homeless people because you think they might be a problem for someone is legal. In New York, it turns out. Have you heard about this? So it's going to be quite an interesting show this evening. A lot of great guests tonight. Reverend Barry Lynn will be with us, the former executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. He's got a new memoir out. Actually, it's it's three books. Springsteen and Guns N' Roses used to put out two albums at once. Reverend Barry put out three memoirs at once. They're all called Paid to Piss People Off. One of them is about porn. And tonight, the reverend's going to discuss obscenity and the true obscenity which is politicians trying to ban books in this century. Comedian Rhonda Hansom is here to talk all about the subway strangler and the incredible hypocrisy we've seen from our friends on the right ever since. In hour number three, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show a good friend of ours, uh, comedian Dean Edwards, who hasn't been on in a while. Dean was on SNL. He's like Eddie Murphy's um, voice double as Donkey for Shrek, and he's played the Donkey character in a lot of different projects for Eddie Murphy. He's an incredible impersonator. He and Brett Raybould have a terrific new show off-Broadway called Race, the Movie, the Play, where they take on white savior cinema, ranging from 12 Years a Slave to Django Unchained, and just send it up in a... It's not even a satire. It is a slapstick, and it's quite brilliant. I sat down with the two of them to talk about making great comedy out of great tragedy. You don't want to miss that. 
Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. He's running this thing out of South Carolina. The great Thea Harper and I are all by ourselves back in the haunted panoramic splendor that is the 267th floor of the Howard Stern Tower. How empty is it here? It is It is so empty. Extremely empty. Will Smith is walking around with his dog trying to shoot deer. There's nothing here. Folks, we're doing hybrid work. We're coming back. <laughs> we can't get any guests to come join us, but they, Thea and I are in an empty building. You know, if if we don't make it out, just know we're we're both help, healthy and happy and, and want to get home at some point. Let's do a show. Let's start. Let's do this thing. Are you ready? We want to hear from you guys. Because today is the anniversary, the 78th anniversary of VE Day. Here is a quick newsreel clip that aired at the time the European version of the war came to a close. Throughout the world, throngs of people hail the end of the war in Europe. It is five years and more since Hitler marched into Poland. Years full of suffering and death and sacrifice. Now the war against Germany is won. There you go. 78 years ago today. Victory over Nazis. It was the 8th of May, 1945, when the fucking Nazis in Germany surrendered. It was on this date, 1945, President Truman announced the surrender of Germany. It was Harry's 61st birthday, by the way. It is VE Day, victory in Europe. Never forget those who sacrificed their lives so that we could be free. In the last war America waged, where America actually had something at stake, we beat the Nazis. And you know what? Now, now, my friends, now is the time to get around to disarming the Nazis in this country. You can honor the memory of all the Americans who beat back fascism, who beat back authoritarianism, who beat back this right wing hate by speaking out against the far right in your society. Speak out against the authoritarians who always punch down. Speak out against the lazy, motherfucking, godless, right-wing politicians who scapegoat those at the bottom, who scapegoat migrants, or Jews, or Muslims, or refugees, who scapegoat LGBT people. This weekend, the fight on Nazism continued in our country, and you already know what happened. We're still reeling from last week's Texas shooting. Remember the other shooting last week in Texas? We now know that the wife of that Texas man who fatally shot his five neighbors with an AR-15 filed a protective order against him in 2022 for assaulting her, but he got to keep the AR-15. You know why? Because he lives in Texas, and Texas is a great place for criminals to get their hands on machines designed to kill lots of people really fast, because that's how the Republican Party likes it. Saturday, a man who has now been identified as 33-year-old resident of Dallas, Maurizio Garcia, as you've heard by now, opened fire at the Allen Premium Outlet Mall. You may have already seen the video footage. If you haven't, I recommend watching it. It's horrible. We shouldn't have to see it, but we do need to see it. It should be shown everywhere. Yeah, this time, they weren't able to keep the bodies from being filmed and put on the Internet. And God bless those people, and God bless their grieving families, but the American folks deserve to know what an AR-15 does to a child's head. He was killed by police at the scene, the right-wing Nazi. Nine additional victims were later transported to the hospital. Two more victims died at the hospital. This guy had no criminal history, but he's got a long association 
with local and foreign neo-Nazi groups. He frequently posted pro-white supremacist and neo-Nazi materials on social media. This is according to an FBI bulletin. The FBI's review and triage of the subject's social media accounts revealed hundreds of postings and images to include writings with racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist rhetoric, including neo-Nazi materials and materials espousing the supremacy of the white race, according to the FBI bulletin. Well, wait a second. He was Latin. How can he be a white supremacist? Just sit down. Just just sit down and put your MAGA hat on. We'll get to that in a minute. Mr. Garcia was armed with an AR-15 style rifle and a handgun, and he was wearing a tactical vest with the letters RWDS on a patch. Get used to that. If you don't know it, know it now. You know what RWDS stands for? Right Wing Death Squad. That's a term that these little white supremacists like to put on their clothes when they go off to try and overthrow our democracy in Washington, D.C. The dude had 10 rifle magazines and six pistol magazines on his body. They found more handguns in his car, more rifles in his car. But let's go back to that patch, Right Wing Death Squad, that little acronym. It's long been embraced by the white supremacists. Enrique Tarrio and Joe Biggs, convicted last week of seditious conspiracy, they have worn patches that say RWDS. Yeah. Joe Biggs has RWDS tattooed on his arm. Jeremy Bertino, another one of the Proud Boys who pled guilty to seditious conspiracy on January 6th, he's photographed in a patch that says RWDS. Just like this other Nazi. Here's a first-hand account of the scene in Texas from one of the first to arrive. I never imagined in a hundred years I would be thrust into the position of being the first first responder on the site to take care of people. The first girl I walked up to was crouched down, covering her head in the bushes. So I felt for a pulse, pulled her head to the side, and she had no face. There you go. That's Greg Abbott. That's the NRA. That's the Republican Party. That's the America they're fighting for. They're fighting for a child to get their face blown off because that's what freedom looks like to weak, weak men. So turns out Russian social media site, OK.ru, this dude had an outlet, had an account over there. His account posted photos, images, writings and tactical planning because he was letting the world know that he was preparing to carry out an attack on the Allen Premium Outlet Mall. There was one image where he showed he was monitoring Google for times when the mall had the most people. There's another image he posted where he's shown bare-chested and he has swastika and other neo-Nazi tattoos. He was a right-wing American. And the tactical planning aspects of, of picking his target and his weapons, there's hundreds of posts in his online journal that document his beliefs and his plans leading up to the attack. The account was still online today, by the way. Tons of photos of pages and pages of his handwritten thoughts while planning the attack. Dude had a YouTube account as well. He was out there. He was planning it. It was in the open. He was posting online his plans while he armed himself. It's a Russian social media site posting Nazi tattoos, reconnaissance photos. And he also posted uh, right wing YouTube dude Tim Pool, who likes to pretend he's cooler than he actually is. He's a Tim Pool fan. It's an online diary filled with white supremacists and violent woman-hating rhetoric. And by the way, at least four of the eight humans this man slaughtered are of Asian ancestry. <laughs> Right-wing racists, armed to the teeth, in Texas. Are you tired of the story? Two elementary school kids were killed and their mother was gravely wounded during the shooting in Allen, Texas. This is according to Dallas Morning News. 
Daniela Mendoza and her sister Sofia were in the fourth and second grades at Cox Elementary School. Their mother, Ilda Mendoza, is in critical condition. The South Korean consulate in Houston identified three other victims, saying they were of Korean descent and had U.S. citizenship. 37-year-old Cho Kyu Song and Kang Shin Young, who's 35. They're a couple. Their three-year-old son, James, was also killed as well. Their six-year-old child, William, was released from the ICU. He is the only surviving member of this horrific attack. He is six years old, and his mother and his father and his brother are all dead. Because it's really easy for 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia to get AR-15s in the state of Texas, even though he's going online letting us know. He was a Tim Pool fan. He was inspired by libs of TikTok. They know it. (laughs) He's also described as another uh, incel. And a white supremacist. This is what the Republican Party does. The far right and their media apparatus groom these Nazis, these incels, these white supremacists, these stochastic terrorists. Now, again, how how could it happen? How could this guy become so steeped in Nazi thought? Well, how is it that Donald Trump had dinner on Thanksgiving night with a neo-Nazi? How is it that Marjorie Taylor Greene got to speak at a white nationalist conference next to this neo-Nazi? And no one cares. How is it Clarence Thomas is accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts from a guy who owns a signed copy of Mein Kampf? He got the gun because we allow mentally ill Nazis to get their hands on weapons and kill people. Just like apparently in New York, we allow other veterans to go ahead and murder homeless people because they feel like it. The U.S. flag's going to fly at half-staff on federal buildings through sunset on Thursday to honor the victims of this latest mass shooting in Allen, Texas. How many more mass shootings will happen by Thursday night? Well, for more than 40 days of his presidency, Joe Biden's ordered flags to be flown at half-staff, all to commemorate the victims of mass shootings. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre telling reporters the president has been kept up to date on details of the Allen, Texas shooter and his right-wing ideology. As far as the the shooter, uh, it is an ongoing investigation, and so I would certainly refer you to the federal law, uh, federal, state, and local law enforcement who are coordinating to uh, investigate the attack. But broadly speaking, as it relates to the right-wing organization that he was connected to, uh, or has been reported to be connected to, uh, we we have spoken out consistently uh, about the concerning rise in hate-fueled violence in this country. And as you know, the president has talked about this in great length, including in discussing how we need to restore uh, the soul of this nation. And so that's why the president directed Homeland Security team on his first day in office to begin developing what began, what became the first ever national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. A strategy for countering? Okay, it's great we have a strategy for countering domestic terrorism. What are we going to do? Elizabeth Warren put on her website a whole bunch of executive orders a president could do to begin to fight back. And let me tell you something, I don't know. Let's say you're a president who's running for re-election and the American people are concerned that maybe you're not on top of things representing them. Maybe having some incredibly popular executive orders for incredibly popular gun safety laws might be a way of showing people you're on their side and that you are a fighter. This guy previously reported a lost firearm to the cops, and the cops now think that allowed him to modify that same firearm to try to make it harder to trace. He was a U.S. citizen. He never applied for a passport. We heard all weekend that he was uh, an illegal immigrant from right-wingers. They were saying that nonstop, but he wasn't. He's an American. He's a veteran. And thanks to Governor Greg Abbott, he was able to easily get an AR-15. And he killed eight people in Texas. And he's using the same gun that the Republican Congress people wear in a little pin on their lapel because they are a death cult. They are a death cult. And they just don't care about dead children. 
unless they're fetuses, in which case they'll pretend to care about dead children because people who pretend to care about Jesus vote for that bullshit. Many authorities from Texas say they've seen a sharp increase in spur-of-the-moment gunfire since September of 2021. Well, what happened then? That's when the state, in their effortless brilliance, decided to allow most adults to start carrying handguns without a license. All I can say is that Abbott at least hasn't tweeted the immigration status of the victims of this murder yet. While this is all happening, Brownsville, Texas cops say that seven people got killed after they were intentionally run over by a motorist in front of a shelter for migrants and unhoused people near the U.S.-Mexico border. (laughs) Ha ha. There you go. That's Greg Abbott's Texas. You know, but it's not just Greg Abbott. Like, this is the New York Times. You know what the New York Times said about this? Investigators trying to learn why a gunman fatally shot at least eight people are examining social media profile, rife with hate-filled rants against women and black people that they believe belong to the gunman. Okay, well, then we know, right? No. Uh, The profile found on the social media site OK.RU matches the gunman's birthday and refers to a motel where he was staying before the shooting. The profile also includes language praising Hitler with references to neo-Nazi websites like the Daily Stormer. Okay, so so we know why then, New York Times, right? We know why. New York Times goes on. On Sunday, officials identify the gunman as Mauricio Garcia. The motive for the attack remains unclear. The motive... This is the New York Times! Neo-Nazis, hates black people, hates women. And they're wondering what his motive was. He praised Hitler. He praised neo-Nazis. He wore Nazi shit. He built social media profiles that promoted Nazis and genocide. He had Nazi tattoos. He said Joseph Mengele was his hero. In one post, he said, this is inspired by libs of TikTok. And he ranted about the drag queen story hour. And he ended it with the words, Heil Hitler. It's like watching Tucker's show. And the New York Times said, well, his motive remains unclear. Our friend Max Burns said, Texas needs to get its anarchy under control. Daily mass shootings, people driving cars into migrant shelters. Greg Abbott is presiding over a failed state. Yeah, what is what is Greg Abbott said after his second preventable mass slaughter, including children in one week? Well, he's going to double down saying it's a mental health issue because I don't know if you know this. All those other countries that don't have fucking mass shootings every day, they have no mental health problems. This is the same guy who depleted the mental health program in his state last year by $211 million. But here he is on Fox News, Governor Gregg recycling his mental health bullshit because he doesn't care about mass shootings. Uh, And there are some potential uh, easy solutions, such as uh, passing laws that we're working on right now to uh, get guns out of the hands of dangerous criminals and to increase penalties uh, for criminals who possess guns. Uh, But, uh, Shannon, we need to to recognize a reality. What we've seen across the United States over the past year or two, uh, and that is an increased number of shootings uh, in both uh, red states and blue states. Uh, Shannon, we've seen an increased number of shootings in states with easy gun laws as well as states with very strict gun laws. I think that the state in which the largest number of victims uh, have occurred this year is in California, where they have very tough gun laws where uh, 11 people died. Uh, And so one thing that we can observe uh, very easily, uh, and that is there has been a dramatic increase in the amount of anger and violence uh, that's taking place in America. And what Texas is doing uh, in a big time way Uh, We are working to address uh, that anger and violence by going to its root cause, uh, which is addressing uh, the mental health problems behind it. Okay, uh, a lot of bullshit to unpack there. But again, this man cut their mental health budget by two hundred and eleven million dollars. And he's saying, oh, well, look at California. Texas has 60 percent more gun deaths in California. 
So by Greg Abbott logic, he's saying Texas has a lot more mental health problems than California. Jesus Christ, these people. I just, I, I can't anymore. I, this guy was wearing a tactical vest, wielding an AR-15 when he opened fires on shoppers. And Greg Abbott made it possible. Greg Abbott and the Texas legislature made it possible for a mentally ill neo-Nazi who was kicked out of the military to legally purchase and openly carry a gun designed to kill lots of humans really fast. And he could bring it to the Allen Premium Outlet Mall and he was able to open fire and murder eight people. That's Greg Abbott. Uh, Dean Cain, former actor, he, his only tweet about this said, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. Okay, let's talk about that. Dean Cain, who I, I met him. I interviewed him in Vegas the first time I went to Vegas for the opening of the Hard Rock when I was a kid. And I thought he was a prick then. I think he's a ghoul now. I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. Okay, ghoul, what, what you're saying is uh, every other society in the world doesn't have mass shootings every day because they're all slaves. I, I, why am I shocked? Why am I shocked that the same people who won't take gun violence seriously also make flippant comments about slavery because they still can't take slavery seriously? If they did, they'd have to stop waving the fucking flag for fun. Can you imagine being such a degenerate to be like Dean Cain and think that the ability to massacre people is freedom? And if civilians lose the ability to massacre other civilians... That's slavery. They have been groomed by the gun industry's PR. They have been groomed by politicians who take money from this gun industry that makes them believe that having weapons of war on all of our streets makes us more free. It doesn't. It makes us live in a goddamn war zone. And then, and then there's the right wing guy saying, yeah, but he's Latino. Can we talk about that? Yeah. As crazy it might sound, just because someone's not white doesn't mean they can't have neo-Nazi views. Take, if you will, Nick Fuentes. His dad's half Mexican. His name's Fuentes. He calls himself a white supremacist. Enrique Tarrio, douchebag, convicted of seditious conspiracy last week, jailed for setting fire to a Black Lives Matter banner. He says he's not a white supremacist. Look at his record. James Stern, he's black, leader of the National Socialist Movement, one of America's largest neo-Nazi groups. Spoiler alert, they're not any more socialist than Hitler really was. Jose Gomez III, Hispanic man, pled guilty to three counts of committing hate crimes against Asians. I could go on. George Zimmerman had a white father and a Peruvian mother. There's literally a demographic called non-Hispanic white. Have you heard of Ted Cruz? Guys, there are white Hispanic people out there. There are people of all races who get brainwashed and groomed with this ideological Nazi garbage. It doesn't matter what his race was because, again, it's the movement. The movement will continue to lead to the deaths of innocent people, generally non-white people. I mean, Fox News showed Greg Abbott the poll. It showed Americans overwhelmingly favored background checks. Overwhelmingly, guys. 80% want to ban assault weapons. It's not controversial. 87% want more background checks for guns. 81% want to enforce existing laws and make the legal age 21 to buy all guns. These are not controversial. They're overwhelmingly popular. But Abbott shunned gun safety options. Abbott talks about mental health funding. Easy guns for everyone. Criminals, deranged people, no questions asked, no permit, no background check, no training. Greg Abbott makes it easier to kill people. He makes it easier to get killed. That's the Republican legacy. Over 10 times the number of Americans who died on 9-11 are killed every year in this country in preventable drug deaths. And it doesn't happen in other countries, other countries that have the same rates of mental illness that we do. All these slaughtered kids, they're all there. 
as the price the rest of us have to accept so mentally unstable dudes can own AR-15s easily. Dean Cain says anything less is slavery. Why did Republicans, as their first act when Trump became president in Congress, why did they make it easier for individuals with mental health issues to buy guns if they really believe the reason for gun massacres is mental health? Remember when they were saying, oh, well, we, we, our grandparents are going to have to die from COVID. Sorry, the economy needs it. Got to reopen America. Sorry. They were willing to sacrifice your grandma. They're willing to sacrifice your kid. In the last 20 years, we've doubled the number of guns in America to over 400 million. AR-15 sales have gone from less than 2% to 25%. It's really popular. And today, two days after eight people were gunned down in Allen, Texas, the Texas House held a vote on a Republican bill that... Ready? Repeals gun safety measures. HB 2960, repealing certain requirements to post no firearms allowed signs on properties. That's what they're doing. They're repealing gun safety. So really quick, we got to hit a break and get ready for Reverend Barry. But I just want to say, go to check out Elizabeth Warren's website sometime because she promised when she ran to issue executive orders uh, to get rid of the filibuster. You know, but she's <laughs> Elizabeth Warren listed how we can have executive orders to investigate the NRA, to broaden requirements for background checks. We can revoke the license of gun dealers who break the laws. We can have executive orders to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. We can raise the minimum age for buying a gun. Our homicide rate is 25 times higher than other comparable countries. A president can declare this a public health emergency. Our suicide rate by guns is 10 times higher. Women in this country are 20 times, 21 times more likely to be shot to death than women in other high-income countries. Most of them are killed by an intimate partner, and 21 children and teens are shot every day in this country. A smart president could run for re-election against this bullshit. While the Republicans offer thoughts and prayers, and the NRA lines their pockets, and the Republicans care more about AR-15s and the lives of your children, a smart president who didn't want to be seen as feeble and out of touch, could read the polls, know what people care about, and fight. Fight for a generation of children to not be killed by this fucking hobby. Because that's all it is, brothers and sisters. It's a gun fetish culture. An AR-15 is not your God-given right. It's your goddamned entertainment. And every politician who's doing nothing to make it harder to get your kid killed, they should be considered accessories at this point. Because today it's in Allen, Texas. Tomorrow it may be your town. Guys, it's VE Day. Let's defeat Nazis together. Let's get off the sidelines. Let's become part of the solution because we have one political party that's going to do what we call dick about it. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Reverend Barry and your calls. 866-997-GRIT. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. 
Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. And welcome back to SiriusXM. I'm John saying Thanks so much for joining us. By the way, speaking of guns, former Congressman Madison Cawthorn... Oh, wow, that sounds good. It still feels good to say that. He pled guilty to charges stemming from his attempt to bring a loaded 9mm with him as he boarded a plane at Charlotte Douglas International Airport in April of last year. That's not to be confused with the time uh, the year before he was stopped while boarding a plane at Asheville Regional Airport with an unloaded gun. He was, of course, fined $250 because we don't take these things seriously. If you forget already who Madison Cawthorn is, I might love you. Or at least want to be your friend. Uh, right now, let's welcome Reverend Barry Lynn back to the show. Barry is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. He served as executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State for many years until his retirement in 2017. You've seen or read Reverend Barry on everything from the Today Show to PBS NewsHour, 60 Minutes, even the O'Reilly Factor, and his stuff's been in the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times. Reverend Barry's memoir is Paid to Piss People Off, and it comes in three wonderful volumes Peace, porn and prayer and they all discuss how a few unexpected encounters with carnival sideshows or attractive anarchists or attorney generals (laughs) changed his life reverend barry it's so good to have you back especially after such a week of horrific mass shootings welcome to sirius xm it's good to be back and but you know i was at a book signing in washington a couple of weeks ago and somebody in the audience said uh is there some issue that you don't think you could work on And I said, frankly, it's guns. I was on the board of something called the National Coalition to Ban Handguns in the 1970s. They changed their name. I don't even think they exist anymore. But I am so sick of hearing the same arguments now that I heard from people like Pat Buchanan, uh, Larry Pratt, the head of Gun Owners of America, which they're the group that thinks the NRA is a little too soft on guns, and that... It's not it's to protect us from the government. And uh, if if everybody had weapons, we'd be safer. I remind those people again that on Saturday during the mass shooting in the shopping mall, it was not some guy who under Texas law was able to carry a handgun. It was a law enforcement official that stopped the shooter in his tracks. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. We're not having a revolution against the government. That's the other thing that they constantly say. But um, it's just intractable. I, Unlike some of the other issues that I've worked on, where people literally, after 10 or 15 years, kind of come and say, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong about something. We can get into that sometime. Mm. But um, you can't. There's nobody that comes out of the pro-gun movement who makes the kinds of specious arguments that I've just been talking about who ever 
publicly comes out and says, you know, I was wrong. It, we can't defend ourselves and we shouldn't defend ourselves against the government because they're not the enemy. They're not coming to take our guns. And by the way, more guns don't make you safer. Mm -hmm. They just make the community more dangerous. There are people on the fringes, and I know some of them who have changed their mind, but not with the not with the strength and purpose that makes them celebrities in the anti-gun movement. You're right. And I got to say, Barry, I'm not against guns. I, I grew up with, you know, my grandmother had her shotgun in the corner. I, I, I've never been against guns, but um, it's the Christians who are so pro-gun. You know, if I have one more Christian reverend misquote Luke 22, because they heard sell your cloak and buy a sword, ignored the yeah. rest of the story, which is Jesus being totally against. He, he's not against owning swords, but he comes out hardcore against ever, ever, ever using them. But again, the way the Christians twist one line of a Bible story that's anti using swords into being God wants us to have AR-15s. I don't understand how anyone can read the Gospel of Matthew and come out ever thinking that lots of guns are a good thing, Barry. I just, no. I, how do you, how do you handle well, it as Well, a I reverend? mean, but remember that they have other passages. I mean, in fact, there was a church that did a combination of a blessing of firearms and a marriage vow reiteration the same day that's right and they said that the book of revelation the revelation of saint john has a phrase in it rod of iron mm -hmm. what could that mean but guns they said oh well oh, see rod <laughs> of iron so yeah, yeah. If, if they bought okay. your idea that they're only cherry picking from the story in the gospel they can always turn to revelation sure revelation is also the part <laughs> of the bible that uh says jesus was black so i'm sure they'll agree with that very yeah, they, they, they may have missed that. Yeah, they, yeah, they did just a bit. I mean, but, it's it's so easy to lose faith in this country when we just see these politicians who are so committed, Reverend, to just doing nothing. And it doesn't matter how many children have their faces blown off; they will not do anything no. to make it harder for criminals or deranged people to get their hands on weapons of war. They will not do anything to make it harder for legal guns to become illegal guns. It's just a complete indifference. It really is, and it's an indifference. That it's a kind of indifference that has tragic consequences. There have been 220-plus mass shootings in this year alone in the United States. That's a large number. Wow. If that if this was anything else, they'd be the people on the right would be saying, "Well, look, there's six people who uh, why they went to a drag show, and uh, and then 20 years later they decided to dress up like a woman." <laughs> <laughs> That's evidence for them, but evidence of 220 plus shootings doesn't demonstrate one thing in their moral universe. Of course. Not a thing. Well, but that's this. This is the same mentality that can say, well, I can look at porn all day and I'm fine, but I've got to make sure children can never see anything remotely pornographic because it might make them worship Satan and be woke and learn critical race theory. I mean, Reverend, yeah. are you are you at all? At all shocked. You just wrote a whole volume of your memoir on porn. How do you feel watching Ron DeSantis supporting removal of books from libraries because someone who's not elected decided they were pornographic? Yeah. And uh, there's an interesting study. I think it's coming out uh, very soon. It may be out today. Uh, looking at the kinds of books that have been removed in Florida libraries. And two of the ones that are seen as the worst possible simply have one photograph 
of where you can see, in one case, it's in a mirror, the buttocks of a woman, a woman's buttocks. Two of them, and then some of the others, just mentioned the existence of transgender folks in the community. And that is so shocking mm -hmm. because the right wing does believe does believe that any exposure to certain images will have a fatal and you, it, it will have a massive consequence for which there is nothing to do to save the children. And it's not just about porn. It's about violence on television. Right. It's about advertising condoms. It's about everything devolves eventually into the question of how can we protect children but really, we just don't like what's going on there. I mean, that's it, Barry. It's not really about protecting children. It's about protecting their jobs. All of this stuff is very public theatrical grandstanding that's done cynically for votes. They're not going to do anything that's actually going to help children. That's going to cost taxpayer money. They don't want that. They're going to do a lot of things to make it seem like we're upset about the same things that upset grandma. And that's about as deep yeah. as it gets. No, that is as deep as it gets. And one of the good pieces of news, I mean... Uh, Although there's talk, including in Florida, of trying to charge some of these books as being obscene under the Florida statute, which is just a, a non-starter. But there hasn't been a successful prosecution for adult pornography in the United States in about 30 years. There was a guy named Robert Zakari. He uh, produced some movies. They were they were the worst ones that a prosecutor could find. And they decided to have some of them sent to Western Pennsylvania because it would be easier to get a successful prosecution. And they, they literally drove the guy out of business. Uh, he was forced to stop uh, the defense of himself and his wife. And they ended up on with a 366 day sentence in a federal prison that's the last one so they talk about it the politicians love to talk about it obscenity pornography but when it comes down to doing anything about it they know that the juries that they're talking to are usually the same people if they see you know debbie does dallas part 15 they they might be a juror on there that said well, Debbie does Dallas 14. We just saw that last Saturday. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and there are journalists who actually have looked at some of these last couple of trials and come up and ask jurors, if you knew the following, if they had admitted this into evidence, what would you have done? And they all almost uniformly say, oh, what? If we had known that, we would never have voted guilty. <laughs> they, prosecutors know. Yeah. They know this is a non-starter. And it's, it's sad because there's there's so many unanswered questions from Debbie Does Dallas 14 that they didn't address in 15. But that's a whole other conversation <laughs> for another day. Uh, yeah. You know, Reverend, what gets me crazy is we're watching and your book, you know, shows a, a real erosion of the church state separation. They've been fighting for it for generations. And the right is setting things up to bring us closer to a theocratic state. And, and what makes me crazy, and I do it on the show, I rail against it every night, every day, mm -hmm. the Democrats are not actually going up to the Republicans and saying, hey, you want to get rid of church and state, but you're not even following your own holy book. Like, we've talked about this. When are the Democrats sure. going to start calling Republicans out for being Christians who reject everything Christ actually taught? I, I, it's too much to hope that they'd actually fight for a separation of church and state. So I, I'm just saying, fight them on their own terms and, and show how they're not even following the book they're trying to make the law. 
One of the reasons they don't do that, I think, is that no matter what you do to buttress your argument that Jesus was not in favor of guns, he was not anti-gay, he was not anti-abortion, there will be somebody who comes up with another reading of another book of the scriptures that they say proves the opposite. It is very difficult, even for those of us who know a fair amount about the Bible, as you and I do, it's very hard to think that we can spout some kind of proof text and all of a sudden the other side will go, no, I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Uh, I guess you're right. It doesn't happen very often. It happens. I was at a, a conference that Americans United was having a couple of weekends ago. A guy came up to me who was a communications director for something called the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And I remembered seeing him and I used to debate his his boss all, all over radio and television. And he's, he, I said, well, what are you doing here? I figured he was going to say, well, the same things you used to do, go to right-wing conferences and then write things and make fun <laughs> of you. But he said, no, they, they, they fired me. And he explained why. And he explained that he had been revealing a lot of information about uh, uh, how the federal judiciary is being corrupted and that he honestly didn't think when he took the job that that was going to be the principal goal of that organization. Mm. So there are people who have a genuine come to Jesus moment, but they're far fewer than we would hope. Uh, you know, you have a pretty curious come to Jesus moment or, or, or lack thereof in, in your porn uh, <laughs> book, Barry, where you tell the story about being in a peep show booth with the Porn Commission chair and the editor of Woman's Day and a religious right activist. Can you can you share that with us just briefly? Yeah, that, you're, it's an interesting, you're my kind of clergy, sir. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's probably the high point or perhaps the low point of my entire year following the uh, commission around when I worked for the ACLU. We were in Houston, Texas. They were taking us to three uh, adult stores, and these are the seediest places, I, I mean, ima imaginable. This is not something you'd see in a... Uh, shopping mall today with no, I know. that's, that's where chris and i met i know yeah. that's how yeah. chris got this and, job actually go on. <laughs> but so we go into this third one and uh, it's henry hudson who is now sadly a federal judge in the commonwealth of virginia and ellen levine who's at the time the editor of woman's day magazine i had testified to the commission some months earlier we're watching a loop you put a little coin into a slot usually a quarter, and then you get to watch two minutes of a dirty movie. And this one had two gay men wearing rubber, green rubber monster masks, having anal sex. And Henry looks at me and he says, uh, Barry, you said all, all these images contain ideas. What's the idea there? I said, Henry, Maybe you should try it sometime. Oh, oh, Whoa, was that a good Ellen Levine was already souring. She was one of the there were four women, three of them dissented from the whole thing at the end. But she could barely contain her laughter. So. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't win that one over, Reverend. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't. But he, I'm sure that Henry used to. There was a journalist you may have known named Robert Shear. Of course. One of the founders of Ramparts Great magazine guy. went on yeah. and used to write for the LA Times. And um, we, we became good friends over that. Great writer. He was writing. He, he really is a super writer. And we, we so he said, I've got an appointment to see Henry Hudson. I, I He said, I want you to just sit outside and, and let's debrief it when, you know, it happens. So, uh 
he came out, he said, you know, Henry said he hadn't read a book for the last year. He, I just, he, he said, but I, I don't believe he could possibly have gotten rid of every Playboy and Penthouse magazine. I said, okay, Bob, let's just go visit a few newsstands. Let's go visit the 7-Eleven. He couldn't find a single Playboy magazine, not a one. Hmm. And this, I think, even he's a sophisticated guy, and he, <laughs> but I think he honestly didn't believe that any actions by then Henry Hudson district attorney could possibly do away with Playboy magazines to say nothing of everything else. I mean, do you think that DeSantis is going to be able to get a lot of traction with this whole censorship? Of, I mean, almost every book they're banning, coincidentally, I'm sure, just happens to be about uh, the black experience, the brown experience, or the LGBT sure. experience. It's kind of across the boards there. It's all stories that deal with empowerment of minority peoples. Yeah, I think he could get somewhere with it if it was just an adjunct to some other policies that were very popular. But I don't think he's found that. I think that when he talks about or attempts to defend against, of all people, Donald Trump's argument that he is trying to cut Social Security and raise the retirement age, he did those things. Yeah. I think when a lot of people in Florida probably didn't even know that when they were reelecting him governor. Yeah, it took Donald election. Trump. It, it took Donald it took Trump Donald to get Trump. the message out there. Yeah, see, Donald, he, you know, they always say a, a broken watches correct twice a day. Well, <laughs> maybe Donald Trump, he only has a watch that stopped once a day. But, yeah, maybe maybe yeah, a, he, a broken a broken watch can uh, <laughs> give Democrats opposition research tips twice a day too. Yeah, exactly. But no, I do think DeSantis, I think he's made a huge mistake. I think what he's done to Disney, whatever, it's it's very convoluted. People are going to lose that. The only thing they're going to remember is he is injuring the biggest money making operation in the state of Florida. Yep. Why in the hell would he possibly do that? And I think that will be the kiss of death. Already done. Reverend Barry, it is always a pleasure to have you, sir. It's never enough time. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, if you go to barrywlin.com, you can find some of uh, my most recent appearances and information about book. If you want the book, you can get it anywhere, but I'd suggest you get it at this little website, B-I-T, all small letters, B-I-T, period, L-Y, backwards slash Barry Lynn book. It takes you right to the page on the author's website where you can purchase it at Brilliant. a discount. And Barry Lynn's three volume memoir is paid to piss people off, which I <laughs> just love. Uh, thank you, Barry, for joining us always. Please Absolutely. come back really, really soon. I need your help. These Christian nationalists are making me lose my damn mind. I need you to talk me off some ledges, Reverend. I'm, I'm, all right, I'll do that. All right, come back very soon, Barry. Absolutely. You're See deeply ya. appreciated Bye -bye. on these parts. Thank you. We got to take a quick break. If you're on hold, I'm going to thank you so hard for waiting on hold. And when we come back, we'll get to all your calls over the next hour. This is progress. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? 
more confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Let's get to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. And I want to get to everybody tonight, so I thank you in advance for your patience. We're going to get to all your calls. Uh, Nicole in Texas, thank you so much for waiting. Hello. Uh, good evening, Mr. Fugelsang. Um I just wanted to make a point about how much the state of Texas doesn't care about mental health or children. Please. They claim to care about. Uh, as a matter of fact, I quit my job as a teacher in May of 22. Um, I'm 40-something years old. I should have turned into, like, a granny with the old gray hair in the classroom. Right. Like, and I do a very important job of working with conduct disorders and mental health kids. God bless you. Yeah. You, so you really don't want people like me deciding they want to go open up a cafe? What was <laughs> it, Nicole? What was it that, that pushed you over the edge and made you decide? A kid broke my toe in October of 21. A kid broke your toe? And my pres- I didn't miss any work. I mm-hmm. went to stat care um, during my off period, and I came back to work with a boot. And I didn't miss any days. And my principal came to me and told me that I would have to work on building a better relationship with a child that had five diagnoses <sighs> in a general, in a, in a public, traditional public school. Wow. That was, and, and what did your union say? That because I was not permanently disfigured or disabled, that it was just the nature of the position because of the kids. Uh, oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So that's why I say I, I, I when I quit, I decided I wanted to write about this. So um, I actually did a three-part series on this. Um, and one of the things I want to point out to people who may not know this in your audience, in 2004, the Texas legislature through TEA, which is education association, said, you know what, we're only going to allow 8% of the given population of students in the state of Texas to be qualified for special aid. And shout out to local journalism, the Houston Chronicle, because they were so getting so many parent complaints, did a an investigation, and even Betsy DeVos, the education department, confirmed it, that from 2004 to when that was exposed, the state of Texas shorted hundreds of thousands of kids their special education services and didn't spend roughly $2 billion Mm. worth of funds. Mm. And also while that was going on, when they were shorting the kids, in 2012, they said they were going to spend a billion dollars on on our mental health system. Now, remember, Texas is 30 million people. We have nine facilities. They date back to the 1800s. Harris County, the county they just got ready to screw over, mm-hmm. their jail system services more mental health patients than all states. Oh, uh, of course. Of course. 
as they cut funding for everybody else. Nicole, I, listen, it's a loss to the Texas public I school system that, that, that we lost you, but God bless you for doing what's right for you. Seriously. I mean, schools have got to get more serious about attracting the top talent. We, I, I believe... I think patriotism means that my country should have the greatest public school system in the world. But we have a lot of so-called patriots who don't think that way. And I just, as the child of a public school teacher, I thank you for your service. I get why you left. Thank you, Mr. Fugues. Like I'm a single mom. I didn't have a choice. Oh, God bless you. Please call up more often. It's a pleasure to hear from you. 866-997-4748. Mark in Missouri, thank you for your patience on hold. Hello. Hey, John. Hey, uh, I was having an argument with a friend the other day, and I was trying to figure out why can't we have a registry for bullets and why can't we have a registry for body armor? If you need body armor for some type of specialized position, security, et cetera, et cetera, Love then yep. exactly. you should you should be happy to say it's part of my job, blah, blah, blah. And then use I'm in IT. Use that as a data point for the ATF to say this guy bought an AK-47 and body armor and bullets all within I a agree. week period. I agree. We need to go look at him. I agree. It's not taking away anyone's and ability to buy anything. It is providing more protection for the community. Bullets are not in the Second Amendment. No. So neither, I don't by the way, we can't ne- na- hey, neither is owning guns. Owning guns yeah. is not in the oh, Second yeah. Amendment. No. You are gi- According to the Second Amendment, you are given a gun when you register for your well-regulated militia, and they hand you one. It's First not about 13 that. 13 words. I've been pushing that with all my friends when they start arguing Second Amendment. Yeah. For, tell me... The explanation of the first 13 words, don't jump to right to bear arms. Brilliant. Tell me why they put 13 words before that and what's the importance of that. Oh, I, you're like my best friend now, Mark. How, how does that go first when you try 13. it? How does that go when you I, try I've it? I've been doing hashtag first 13 words for, <laughs> for months and months and months now trying to get people to realize that they're the first 13 words are more important than what Scalia jumped to and said, right to bear arms. Yeah, but that's the corrosive cult of selfishness in this country that goes back to our founders when they wanted to be slave owners who wanted freedom, Christians who wanted religious freedom to own slaves. The hypocrisy, the selfishness has permeated our culture and it's been the curse of America, just the need to to have things that, that, that others can't have or the need to be able to just slaughter people because you have a hobby. I mean, it's got nothing to do with patriotism. It's got nothing to do with Christian values. And I trace a line from slavery right down to this selfish cult of letting mentally unstable civilians easily own AR-15s because, hey, that's what white middle class men want. And that's who buy them. Yep. Yeah. Roll back Reagan. That's my other hashtag that I've been. Roll back Reagan. We've tried this experiment for 25 years of shutting down mental institutions and et cetera, et cetera. Time to roll back Reagan, get back to unions, get back to uh, the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, CEOs are not fiduciary to their shareholders. They're fiduciary to their workers, period. Nice. nice. Yeah. And let's not forget it was Ronald Reagan who supported the assault weapons ban. I think a smart Democratic Party would call it the Ronald Reagan Memorial Assault Weapons Ban Absolutely. and get it out there right away. Mark, you're smarter Absolutely. smarter than me. I don't deserve this call. Thank you so much. Well, I no, I, I just want to keep getting these ideas out. Your no, man, audience you're right. is incredible. And I just 
I think we can solve this problem. We just need to come up with ideas and then get our elected officials I to mean- the Aurora, the Aurora, Colorado movie shooter was able to buy 9,000 rounds online and they sent Tommy Chong to jail for selling bongs online. Exactly. Boom. Exactly. Mark, thank you very much. I'm going to use your line all the time about the first 13 words. 866-997-4748. We're going to get to everybody's call. Mark in Wisconsin. Thanks for your patience. Yeah. Uh, Mark from Missouri just took, took some words right out of my mouth that it's a well-rigged militia. And what I get a kick out of, as I probably said on this show before, is that there's not one syllable in the Constitution that grants the Supreme Court the right to decide the constitutionality of laws. That for a strict constructionist Supreme Court, they should probably actually take a look at the Constitution that they all invoked God in when they took an oath to the Constitution. That um, when they're being high and mighty, they're overturning laws that actually benefit the citizenry. Yeah. That it is just pretty disgusting. And the hypocrisy of some of the founders are, even though they admitted, I mean, in their their personal writings, that what what we're doing here is that slavery is wrong, but we're going to, we just can't afford to give up our slaves. That's Um, it. That's it. The economic emphasis to maintain, you know, the slave economy to this day, in some form or fashion, that's it. That every time labor tries to raise uh, raise up its head, get a little bit, um, make some gains, and the Republicans now are trying to roll back all the gains we've made mm-hmm. in the past, you know, since the 1930s. But hey, we have prison labor. We have prison labor, right? <laughs> Plenty of we, that. We had, we had, uh, Dwight David Eisenhower actually, you know. You know, touted, you know, the, the value of Social Security, the value of the labor unions, and all this, and the Republicans have rejected all that completely. I mean, it, it yeah. is just, um, and they need to be called out on it. Each and every day they need to be called out on this. Amen. The hypocrisy and the firearms thing is, as a responsible gun owner, it just disgusts me yeah. that this guy who was had to leave the military because of mental health issues, mm-hmm. that was able to go out and, and procure these weapons. It, it, it just... Um, what the hell? <laughs> you know, well, you know what? what? It's it's responsible gun owners like yourself who need to speak out, and that's why you inspire me so much, because I think the majority of responsible gun owners know bullshit when they see it, and hopefully they know that the NRA doesn't represent their interests. It represents yeah, it, the gun it, manufacturer's profits. It, it just, you know, that it just is, you know, they're coming off of cancer, and it just is, um, you know, and I come back and you know, start paying attention to some of this stuff once again. Yeah. And uh, that after being sick for with other issues for past few months, but I mean, it just you take a break from it, and then then it just comes right back and smacks you in the face. Yes, sir. And it just hearing about that poor little girl who's was they wouldn't even identify her by her face anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's and, preventable, but that's acceptable. That little girl's face blown off is the price that we have to pay, so individual civilians can own military hardware for entertainment. Yeah, well, fuck that guy that was talking about, you know, that, that uh, oh, it's, it's you know, that's, that's the price we've got to pay for for liberty. Well, fuck that. I mean, Amen. That, that, the little girl should still be alive. Yeah. That guy never should have been anywhere near a firearm. I know. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it's all preventable. All of it. All preventable. Mark, thank you for the call. Thank you. Take care, brother. Thank thank you. you. Then call more often. Thank you. Okay, if you're still on hold, don't hang up. We've got to take a quick break. This is Progress. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. So when I was a kid, uh, South African apartheid was one of the most urgent causes for racial justice on the planet. And a lot of films were made about it. And and a lot of them were really good. But I I began to notice amidst all the high prestige, very well acted apartheid films, there was a, a trend I noticed, like Cry Freedom, the Steve Biko story starring Kevin Kline in the lead. Or A Dry White Season, a great film about apartheid starring Donald Sutherland and Marlon Brando in the lead. Or A World Apart, which showed a a woman's perspective on apartheid starring Barbara Hershey in the lead. They're all great in these movies. But meanwhile, the biggest studio movie of the 80s on American civil rights was Alan Parker's Mississippi Burning, which showed how white FBI agents fought the Klan. There are many fine qualities about all these films, but they all taught me at a very young age that white savior syndrome is epidemic in American cinema. And now a devastating slapstick takedown of that dubious genre is running off Broadway in New York City at the Soho Playhouse. It's winner of New York Theater Festival's Best Script and Best Actor Awards. The play is Race, the Movie, the Play. And it follows a white chauffeur named Wyatt Savior, (laughs) played by Brett Raybould, who is the driver for a brilliant black musician named Gene Yuss, played by Dean Edwards, on a tour through the 1850s Deep South. Now, Brett Raybould performs all over the city. He helped write monologues for Conan on TBS, articles for College Humor, uh, news journalism for Now This. He's a terrific stand-up. He's a member of the sketch comedy group The Raybould Brother. He was also the first comic publicly traded under cryptocurrency via Brettcoin. Meanwhile, Dean Edwards, who I've known and loved for years as an actor, a comic, and a writer, he did two years on SNL. He's astonishing in his facility with great effortless impressions, including Denzel Washington, Jay-Z, Monique, Chris Rock, uh, Eddie Murphy, who he sort of uh, played as Donkey for quite a long time. Uh, Dean also showed his talents on Netflix's Tiffany Haddish Presents They Ready. And he's also the producer and has one of the leads in Race, the Movie, the Play. It is a great honor to welcome Brett Raybould and Dean Edwards to SiriusXM. Gentlemen, hello. John, what's going hey. on, man? It's good to see you, bro. I, I miss seeing you in person, brother. <laughs> I'm missing you in person, too. I'm working here every night lately, so it's a drag. But I got to say, congratulations on the play. I I didn't know going into watching it what to expect. And I I really think you guys have triumphed in irreverence over preachiness. You actually made a smart, powerful, political, moral story about institutionalized racism and injustice and, and how we got here. I'm really curious, what was the evolution of this project from first ideas to off Broadway run? Right. I, I, I'll, I'll hand it over to, to my, my partner in crime, Brett Raybould, who's uh, one of the one of the writers and, and geniuses behind this, this brilliant show. Brett, uh, let him know. Yeah. So uh, the first initial genesis of this was uh, myself and one of my best friends in life and comedy, the director of the show and co-writer Christian Duran. We had one joke between us for our podcast which was how funny it would be for there to be a movie titled Not Another Slave Movie, and <laughs> oh, which is harsh, which is harsh. But from that one joke spawned us actually taking a joke in conversation into a script. We wrote a movie script called Race the Movie, and then we won a big screenplay competition with that movie about a few years ago. And then every producer, manager, industry member got the script from that and said, this is hilarious, but, you know, it's just a touchy subject. We even had one producer say, it's just race is just too much of a hot button issue right now. 
And Christian and I were like, right now, like, what? <laughs> don't you mean for all of what? Like, should we check back in two and a half weeks when the racial inequities have totally subsided in America? <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, in, in the last rather, ten years, three films about racism have won Best Picture, so I can see why it's not that trendy. <laughs> but go on, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so. You know, we're 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 comics and writers and we go, well, if we're if it's so funny, we know live audiences will respond and audiences are smart enough to get what we're doing. And even by saying it's hilarious, you yourself are admitting you get it. And so that's why we decided let's prove it in the live format. Let's do it as a play. And then we turn race the movie into race the movie, the play. We've since <laughs> won some awards and we're now uh, partway through our off Broadway run at Soho Playhouse in May. And it's just been a joy to assemble such a ridiculously talented cast of comics and actors. And the script has morphed because of how many funny people we have involved in it, most chiefly Dean Edwards, who oh. can do literally anything. Anything. I know. I'm I not know. kidding you. You ask for any voice and Dean's like, yeah, I could do that. And it's just, it's a joy. So yeah, it, it's it's fun to uh, have audiences almost confirm and make you feel not crazy for knowing how quality this show is. Right on. Well, I mean, Jeff, it, just, go ahead, Dean. Just to, to piggyback on top of what, what Brett is saying, I think the, the, the beauty of this show is um, it reaffirms everything that you said so eloquently in, in presenting it. You know, um, it's one thing to write something that you think is funny. It's another thing to have evidence of that every night that we do the show, having people, you know, walk out of the uh, Soho Playhouse in good spirits, smiling, people from all walks of life, all, all races and creeds and religions coming out saying, wow, man, it's so funny, but it's smart. It's so smart. And it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, pretend to be more intelligent than it is. We allow we allow the audience to <laughs> mm -hmm. get the jokes without without after every joke sort of winking like, huh? Huh? Get it? <laughs> See what we're saying? We just we just throw as much funny in as possible to tackle um some serious issues um that I think that that the, the audience and many, you know, especially in the realm of Broadway, the Great White Way or off Broadway, um where many of the audiences might not be of color or might not That's be right. as diverse. And so I think we're bringing that not only with our cast, but also with the demographic that, we, that we're that we inviting to come out to check the show to understand, look, there's there, there are some gigantic issues with racial inequities that, um, that we need to address, but here's how to address it in a way to make people laugh, but also say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I, I could see I can see the problem there. And yeah. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe walk out of there uh, with, a, with a different approach, a different perspective. Absolutely. And that's been one of the uh, defining like uh, pathos of our writing and creating this, which is you can take issues very seriously, but filter them through the prism of slapstick comedy to show how you take it seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. Exactly. And and that's what I think is uh, joyful and different about this uh, thing we've made. I, I think great art comes from a place of joy and not fear of how you're going to be perceived by people. 
I mean, right. in, in watching this, it's it's so funny. I mean, it's it's so funny. It is so uh, devoid of preachiness. I mean, it, it, and it's also it's got some of the best elements of cultural satire. Characters are talking about a musical based on Ben Franklin's life. But then the comedy is so hardcore slapstick. There's characters names like Wyatt Savior, Wyatt Devil. <laughs> Judge Hugh by the color of your skin. At one point, characters have the wardrobe of Green Room, 12 Years a Slave, and Django Unchained on stage all at the same time. Um, Dean, I, I, I want to ask, well, ask you both, why is comedy always such an effective delivery system for these messages? You're joking about historical realities. And arguably, I think that this slapstick is a much better delivery system for history and the truth than critical race theory in law school on its best day. Uh, you go, Dean. Come on, Dean. You're well, the well, well. I think number one, uh, use, using the term a slapstick comedy versus the term critical race theory, right? Um, <laughs> I, think, I think, especially in you know in in our country, um, I think people hear CRT and get nervous when when in reality, you know, my wife's a, a, a professor of literature, and so uh, you know we discuss it all the time, like. See, our critical race theory is just the truth, just <laughs> talking yeah. about what's mm -hmm. really happened. But it's just packaged in this name that scares off many people that hear, you know, multiple syllables and get nervous. Whereas you hear the term slapstick comedy and you immediately think Mel Brooks, um, you yeah. think uh, of the, the uh, you know, David Zucker and Airplane and, and the scary movie films. And you realize, OK, this is something that's not to be taken so seriously. And so the trick is sliding in social commentary, uh, you know, sliding in um, intellectual um, heady material. And it's a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The jokes almost can disarm you because rather than being on stage trying to, you know, uh, preach or, or be from some sort of pulpit, you're, at the end of the day, we are kind of just mostly trying to entertain people. Exactly. And the way yeah. you can do that is by telling the truth in a funny way. And so that's, I think, what our, our comedy can do. And I, that's how I really think it's sort of different from a lot of um, recent film and theatrical productions that tackle these type of issues is they're all incredibly self-serious. And some of them are done brilliantly and some of them are done not brilliantly. Yes. But um, ours... At the end of the day, first and foremost, we are here to make people gut bustingly laugh, and and that's what the show can do. And and in addition to having interesting conversational uh, jump off points from it. No, this yeah. is this is one of those shows. It's not just hilarious. It's one of those shows that I watch, and I was like, holy crap, where was I when the auditions for this happened? Because it looks like it's as <laughs> much fun to do every night as it is to see every night. And Dean, you're a, you're a producer on the show. I mean, what was the process that led you to want to put your name? on this very experimental, very edgy production? Honestly, John, I I read the script. I did the work of just reading the script. Brett uh, contacted me. Um, I, you know, he's a comic. I'm a comic. I said, I, I'm going to be out of, out of country for two weeks, so I, let me let me read it. And, and by page two, they, you know, page one, I think they was the trigger warning. And the trigger warning alone got me and i was literally laughing while reading something and you know like i know john just like brett knows and any other um comedian or comedic actor that has read a script that they had to audition for 
when it's presented when it's presented as a comedy um you know comedians can be comedy snobs but sometimes we just want something to make us laugh and that's it more often than not we read something and you finish the script and you say to yourself wait this was this was not a a dramatic piece in 30 pages you know and so i read it um and by page one and two i was like oh this is funny and so by page 10 i'm 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 laughing um with gut busting um guffawing and i'm like yo this is this they 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 captured lightning in a bottle with this and so i told brett the first time we we actually met in person we went to a uh, a turkish restaurant and i said yo i'm in i said whatever y'all need whatever assistance i can offer to to help make this show a success i i want to be part of it because that's how strongly i believe in what what brett and christian duran have uh, created and i remember that lunch because in that moment dean i remember us i mean dean is such a booked and busy guy and Make no mistake, Dean made a, a lot of uh, changes in his busy schedule to be a part of this. That's why when we originally approached Dean, we didn't think he would have the bandwidth uh, to do the lead. So it was just like a a bit part smaller in the in the a bit part in later in the show. And I remember that lunch and in my head being like, "Well, we don't have like a star. We don't have." And so just floating that and and Dean was like, I think I can move some things around. And and we're so fortunate he did, because if it was just me and no Dean, I wouldn't be on this show right now talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's true. Well, you guys sort of play, I mean, at least in the beginning of the play, you're you're in a bit of a parody of the characters in, in Green Book. You're you're playing Vigo's oh, yeah. character and Dean, you're you're playing Mahershala's character. But what was interesting to me yeah. in watching it is so much of this is about basic Caucasian ignorance and meanness. So Dean, the irony is you're sort of really playing the straight man in this in oh, so many ways. Totally. Yeah, totally that the you know what? As a as a comic, probably the biggest challenge uh, beyond uh, you know, giving the the role some some realism and and really inhabiting uh this character of of eugene yes um is the fact that i'm watching everybody get laughs and i'm the straight guy you know and that's it's 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 such a hard work hard yeah man but but you know that's where my 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 acting you know training and and working with greats like larry moss um really prepared me for this, where I said, no, you know what? Your your job in service of the script is not to be funny. My job is to allow everyone around me to be funny. And so what what I have been able to do, and it's been such a collaborative uh, uh, project, is that when I can insert funny for somebody else, <laughs> when I can say to someone, oh, you know what would really work? Uh, mm-hmm. then, then, you know, people have been receptive enough to yep. enhance uh, what they've done based on some of my suggestions. But, and so, right. So make, it's, it's worked out well, yeah. Make no mistake, though, there are scenes comedically where De- Dean carries the comedy and the funny of the scene, in addition to shouldering the weight of the story and the narrative. And, you know, Dean is such a leader for our cast. And when people um, younger or with less stage experience, most especially myself included, see someone like Dean being willing to be un- unselfish and not like grandstand or not make a moment about yourself. It's a really good, uh, like just like, um, example for everyone yeah. else. And everyone is working to 
make the best show possible. And Dean has done so much. Yes, Christian and I wrote this script, but I cannot tell you, we don't have any ego with our script, which means anytime in rehearsal, someone has said a line funnier than what was on the page. We just go, that's now the line. Right. And oh, there that's are great, so many they never, lines. They never sue you for that years later as well, which is really good. You never get sued for that <laughs> as time goes on. But hey, well, you know, Dean's a producer, so I, I hope he doesn't sue himself, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? To but that yeah, point, I mean, D- Dean, mm-hmm. you, your character really is the center of gravity morally for this play. And, and you get plenty of great funny lines, but there's a very powerful and funny scene later in the show where where Eugene Yus is in the black jail and Wyatt Savior is in the white jail. And yeah. there's a scene that only your character could pull off because the other black inmates call him out and saying, you, you think you're better than me. And I, I found that when that, that scene finally came and the play went to some very, very serious issues, it was all yeah. earned and it all incorporated perfectly into the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, that's one of my favorite scenes. I uh, last year during the uh, New York Theater Festival, I, I felt the emotion bubbling mm-hmm. up and I was af- <laughs> I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to uh reel in the reel myself back in because it it uh it had come to such a climactic uh moment and so i didn't you know i cheated the audience of myself because i didn't trust that i'd be able to maintain my composure but that that would have been my uh my denzel washington in glory one tear down the cheek scene that, that, <laughs> that's what that's what was happening in that moment where where uh and, but but Oh, and then, by the way, by the way, who got top billing in glory? Who got top billing in glory? Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Let's not forget the yeah. film about the Black yeah. Regiment starring <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Yes. These are the and 80s as, kids. Well, as, as you, you, just, you mentioned two films that De- Denzel won uh, or was nominated. He was nominated for Biko, um, yeah. you know, and he was also and he won for uh, for, glory. for Glory. And similarly, in a funny in a funny twist of events, after we after we did the show during the New York Theater Festival, um, that we got the nominations, and I was initially nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and we all laughed. Yeah, and said, "Wait, they totally missed the point of what we were trying to say." <laughs> but it it was so pathetic because I John, I can't tell you. There's no one who I, I was like, how, how can you watch this and say, oh, Dean was the supporting actor. His character has the most lines, the most time on stage, the most mm-hmm. scenes, the carrying the like dramatic moments, like the most arc in development. And I was like, how? I, I literally I, think whoever was on the nominating group for New York Theater Festival, God bless him, but also yo you gotta check yourselves guys because i think they just saw my lily white skin and go oh yeah there's the main character there you go (laughs) i mean how does viola davis get go ahead dean no i was gonna say that reaffirmed why our show is so important right um without sounding self-important that's why our show uh resonates so strongly because you could present the 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 oddest truth in a funny way and the people that are supporting it can still totally miss the point exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. well, well let me ask let me ask the million dollar question um 
because a lot of Caucasians don't understand this, and I want to I want to do it, do this question with with the dignity it deserves. What what's wrong with slavery movies? I mean, I think America doesn't take slavery seriously. We we have so many people that still wave the flag of owning other people for fun that it's clear we don't take the issue seriously. Um, what's the problem with modern slavery films that uh, that that needs to we need to get around because I, I hear a lot of people having a, a backlash to the backlash. And I, I think there has to be a, a a creative and artistic medium somewhere where these stories can be told in a way that doesn't seem like uh, it's feel good entertainment for a white ticket buying audience in a multiplex. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the uh, if, if it, I won't say it's a problem. I think the the problem that I can only speak. Well, speaking from from the black perspective, Please. Black Americans uh, or African Americans get frustrated with representation in television and film because uh, I think I'll use Snoop. I think Snoop. I remember. I don't remember what film it was. Twelve, twelve years of slave. One of those films, and he's he's like, man, I'm tired of these slave slave movies. Can't we be something else, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the perspective of people uh, a melanated community. Is okay. We've 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 had roots. We've had twelve years of slave. We've we've seen movies where we get beat, um, and those movies win and get nominated. Why are the movies about uh, Nat Turner not nominated? Right? Mm-hmm. Why are are there no films about uh, you know black revolutionaries that yeah. that get the same uh, attention and and uh, campaigning behind them from mainstream media, mainstream, uh, you know, film houses. And that's so what winds up happening is the backlash comes because we're all happy to see black people employed. You know, I, I haven't seen emancipated with Will Smith because I remember um, in in the in his promotion, in his minor promotion because of the Oscars left, his minor promotion was you know, this movie, it's not, it's not about <laughs> slavery. It's about emancipation. And we're like, yeah, but emancipation of being a slave, you know, and <laughs> people are like, yeah, I don't, we, we, we want to see other films, other stories being told, you know, and, and unfortunately the, the other side to it is the people that need to see these movies aren't us. It's, 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 yeah. The real middle America. So, so That's take it. the movie, take the film Till, right about Emmett about Emmett Till's murder. Um, uh, Till, which was a, a powerful film. Um, the the I forgot the woman's name that played the lead actress, but uh, played Emmett Till's mother. Um, mm-hmm. She was brilliant. Um, I saw it, and I saw a handful of. Uh, black people in the movie theater with me that saw it, but I said, you know what? I know this story. This that's story right. is not for me. I know that's this. Right. Story. This this is a story that should be told and taught in school, along with CRT slash truth, so that people understand the errors that were made in this country, so those errors aren't made again. Yeah, and and Dean, if I can uh, now come in with speaking for the white community. Uh... <laughs> no, but. Uh... No, but seriously, like uh, there are moments I can't speak, you know, as well about, you know, that stuff. But I can say 12 Years a Slave, there are aspects of it that are so good. But there are aspects of it where you're like, wait, really? Is that 
Like this, the the slave owner in the movie uh, played, I think, by Benedict Cumberbatch. The second one, yeah. They, yeah, they made him like a nice guy. Like they, well, he's they not, portrayed. He's, he's him. not that nice when it matters. He he pretends to be I, a nice I, guy. <laughs> exactly, and that's what's like. One of our characters is based off of that character. We have a a, a slave owner in our play. His name is Ray. Sist, Sist. Um, played by Ted Alexandro for previous runs. He wasn't available for this run, so it was played by an awesome comedian named Nick Wickmer. But yeah. uh, it's so funny because the whole time he's like, what up, guys? Like, I'm like the chill slave owner. And you're like, that, that, that doesn't exist. I don't know how you can act like you're a nice guy, even though you also own human beings. Right. Yeah. That's it. By the way, Dean, that was Daniel Deadweiler who 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 played Emmett Till's mom. And the reason why yes. it took me a second to remember, because they didn't give her an Oscar nomination for it. Like so right. many these things are all done for Oscar bait. But but the only good thing about that is if it gets the nomination and then it's opened up to a wider audience. If it doesn't, we just right. have to cross our fingers and hope it's not something they force kids to watch in history class. Right. And and, and the, I, I remember hearing one of the reasons that was uh that she didn't get nominated along with Viola was because I don't know the name of the actress, but there was an actress that saw a film that was on the Academy board and posted, um, you have to go see this other movie. Um, she has to get a nomination. Viola's gonna get nominated. Uh uh the mother that played played Till is gonna get a nomination. They're guaranteed. And so that's not to say that would have happened, but that didn't right. help it. Everyone thought, oh, well, I don't have to vote for her. She's already got the nod. And by the way, Viola, not, supporting actress for Fences, I'm still mad about that. Right. <laughs> I saw right. Mary Alice win the Tony for playing the lead role on Broadway, but in right. the movie, now you're supportive. Right. I don't even get it. Gentlemen, this play is fantastic. It is it is so funny, and it is in the relentless comedy that the morality comes through. I can't praise it enough. The play is Race the Movie the Play. It is playing right now at Soho Playhouse. You can go to SohoPlayhouse.com for tickets and more. What's next, Brett and Dean? Do you, I, I'm assuming we're hoping there's a commercial run. I think there's a long theatrical life ahead for this play. It is so off-the-hook funny. Um, what's next for the two of you, and how can our listeners follow you in your work i think first and foremost uh we will be eventually turning race the movie the play into race the movie the play the movie the movie as that nice. is our long-standing dream and goal with this project um as far as me i will just plug the play again and, and you can go to race the movie the play.com for tickets if you dm me on instagram i will send you one of them juicy promo codes so yeah, yeah nice. that's my plug. Thank you so much for your time, Dean. Thank you, promo Dean. Code, um, I, I'm I'm going to be even more aggressive with it and say we we sold out our run during the New York Theater Fest. We we had some sellouts this past. That was our first week last week. Um, we're running through the month of May to until May 27th. We have uh, um, you know four shows a week um, on the 17th through the 20th. Four shows a week, uh, May 24th through 27th. We're doing uh, May 9th and 10th because I'm actually on the road. Uh, as as Brett mentioned earlier, I am also a working stand-up comic. So I'm at Yonkers Comedy Club this weekend, May 11th through 13th. Um, if you want to reach out, I'll get you that code too. I'm at, at I am Dean Edwards on all social media, but specifically Instagram, um, at I am Dean Edwards. Come out, race the movie, the play, it's fire. You're going to leave and be so excited. You're going to tell five people who are going to come come out. It's, that's that's how good the show is. 
Yeah, it's I, great. Look, in Denzel's, I guarantee it. <laughs> I can't wait to see it again for all the great jokes I missed the first time. It's that funny. Gentlemen, what a great pleasure. Race the movie to play running now at Soho Playhouse. Thank you both so much for joining us to talk about this really Thank just you, fantastic work. And, and it's so comedically solid. What a pleasure. Uh, Brett Raybould and Dean Edwards. Thank you. We got to go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to Sirius XM Progress. Peace. <laughs>